I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Randy. Hi, everybody. Hi. This is scary. It's very different. <laughs> oh, God, I have to stand this long. Um, okay. I'm from New York, and I moved here in 1999 uh, to pursue a dream to be a screenwriter, which I'm pursuing. And I'm a compulsive eater. I've been a compulsive eater since I was a little girl. First, it started for me when I was um, probably eight or nine years old. I actually became food phobic. And all sorts of little weird phobias I had around food. And a lot of foods like smelled weird to me and I wouldn't eat them and I was afraid they were poisonous. And I came from a very uh, argumentative mother and father. They were always fighting with each other and I think that my stability my, you know, was so not there. There was no stability in my upbringing. They do say in the psychology books that a solid mother and father gives a child some sort of feeling of security. So I guess if you have no feeling of security, your instinct is to survive still. And um, I looked to food. Some people look to drugs. And food became my drug. And soon after I realized there were certain foods that didn't smell good, I also found foods that did and that tasted real good. And, uh, the, you know, all the sweet foods. So that became my journey as, and my routine in my life that became an integral part of my life, as integral as my parents were in my life. That's how much food was the partner to me in my life. And I escaped with it on a every other day basis almost. I'd say averaging it all out. And I felt all the feelings that we all are familiar with, the anger, the remorse, the fear, the self-hate, feeling of being out of control, feeling of being in control, the delusion of it all, being out or in control. It's a total delusion. And went into my teens, up and down. You know, I, I could tell you I've been maintaining a 35, 40 pound weight loss, but I'm maintaining hundreds of pound weight loss because my routine, my story is I gained and lost, you know, a lot of weight, like 20, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 pounds. All depending on when you saw me, you didn't know whether I was going to be up the scale or down the scale, and it was zip. It was written on my face because I would walk into a room with people who didn't even know me and they'd say, oh, my dear, you look so thin or, oh, how'd you get so heavy? Like they never saw me before. It was as if it was, I wear, I give off the vibe of who I am to the world I, without speaking. I think we all do, but we won't get into that conversation. That's a different meeting. And um, so I wore it all the time. You know, whether it was thin, whether it was heavy, whether I was depressed or happy, I wore what was inside of me. People could read me. And um, 
And it was very painful. And the more people read me, the more I ate. And the more I would play with food and fast and starve and act out in other addictions. Um, and my life was unmanageable. At age 19, I left home and uh, I didn't go to college. I was, I was a depressed kid. I couldn't focus on work or studying. And um, I didn't really know. I, I did not know what I was doing with my life for a long time. I was in the arts, but I didn't have any discipline. So I would go in and out of my commitments to my creativity. Uh, all through my 20s and 30s, early 30s. And um, I was living with this woman who started going to these meetings. We were roommates, and I was 19, and I started going to these OA meetings on Long Island with a lot of middle-aged housewives that were all overweight, and they never seemed to lose weight or anything. They just sort of stayed the same. And a lot of them sort of used the group as a social club. But there were some younger ones there that were really into it, and I had a sponsor for a while. But I was not into, I was just into losing weight, just, you know, going to a diet club. So I ended up losing the weight, and I left before I really got to see what the program had to offer me outside of the whole weight thing. Because the weight thing is, it's so in, you know, it's so unimportant in the broad spectrum that, that the weight thing is just so unimportant, even though my vanity, my, my, you know, my ego tells me it isn't. I know in my heart it really is unimportant. Uh, but we all do come in with weight issues, otherwise we'd go somewhere else, you know. Overeat is anonymous. That's, that's what it is about weight, whether it's underweight or overweight. And... So I left the program, and I spent many more years eating and acting out of my addictions. Um, and and I had a rough time. It was a rough life, filled with in, in, inadequacy, feel, you know, acting out on all the things I felt. You know, I still feel inadequate. I still feel these feelings of self-hate, these feelings of unworthiness. But I act. I act a little differently. I may even act depressed, but I am in the world differently than I was before. And one of the first things I am in the world is I'm not into the food. I've been in program. I went into program um, after many years of eating, after that little stint in OA when I was 19. I went into program about 17 years ago. And I was first on a diet. I didn't want to go in the program overweight. I went on a diet for a while. <laughs> wanted to look a little better. And um, so I went in, and I was, you know, was not really wearing the weight that much. But I really started getting the whole other part of the program, which is the emotional and spiritual part. And I got a sponsor who was this loving, loving middle-aged lady who had a heart of gold, and I lied my ass off to her. And I finally said, i got to find someone I'm scared of. <laughs> and and um, I, found, I found a guy that was a former Green Beret. And I knew he would never shoot me, but I figured it was so scary when he got angry. I just figured, you know, my absence might be in good shape with this guy. And it turned out that he ended up being a really good sponsor, and he dedicated himself to sponsoring for five years, and I spoke to him on a daily basis. 
And I don't think I saw him more than six or seven times in the whole five-year period. Uh, we did go to similar meetings sometimes, and we'd say hello. But we really had this phone relationship. And, um, and I still have contact with him uh, from time to time now. Um, but I moved here in 1999, so I, I, I'm one of the luckier ones in terms of the food tool. I got abstinence within a year, and I have not lost my abstinence since. Um, so I'm abstinent about 17 years. Maybe I'm in program 18 years. And, um, you know, I don't do any of this perfectly. I don't do anything perfectly. In fact, I've been obsessing about speaking at this meeting because I always still walk around feeling, not always, but I've been feeling like, what is this guy crazy asking me to speak at this meeting? You know, I don't do anything consistently on a daily basis. Nothing. I'm still a loser, you know. And the voices just still go on. However, I'm here in spite of the voices. Um... And that's hard. That's hard. Uh, and I don't always show up. I was supposed to be somewhere this morning. I didn't show up this morning. But I'm here in this commitment. I don't do anything perfectly. And this is really hard. And um, I have a sponsor who now is a very loving, sweet sponsor. And occasionally I wonder, maybe I should get back to the, the Green Beret because sometimes I feel like that's all I can that's that's the only thing that'll work on me. It's like a whip, you know. And um, but I'm not doing that. I'm I'm trying to give myself, let her give me the love that I don't allow enough to give to myself on a daily basis. Um, I'll tell you that I still deal with depression in my life. I still. I still am, am Randy, you know. I'm, I was Randy then. I, you know, I'm, I'm still insecure. I'm still a nervous type. I tend to be fearful. But I live differently, you know. I make amends when I'm, when my behavior is, is not what I know in my heart it should be. When I'm disrespectful to somebody in my life that doesn't warrant that kind of, nobody warrants that kind of disrespect. Even strangers I apologize to. Um, I follow the steps. I have done the steps very formally more than once. I have done like three, four steps uh, with sponsors. Um, I'm still, I'm kind of doing now another fourth step very slowly with my present sponsor. And uh, the other thing, that, so here's what I do is, I try to pray every day, get on my knees. Lately it's been funny. I started working again full time to help pay the bills. And I have to get out of bed really, really quietly because my husband is a very light sleeper. I get up before him now. And when I put my arms on the bed to pray, I kind of like rest on, kind of rocks the bed a little. So I, I haven't been praying regularly since our, my whole schedule has been kind of crazy. So I, it's just not as comfy to pray on the couch. So I have to find some new position to kneel and be humble in. And uh, I pray. I was meditating every day for like 20 or 30 minutes, but I, I'm, I'm recently in a transitional phase. I'm uh, our money is sort of dwindling, and I'm still pursuing my career. And it's 
a promising career, but no one knows when it's, things are going to happen money-wise. And uh, but so I'm back to work, and my work schedule is long, and um, so I'm sort of in this transition of trying to find new time and space for the things I really need to do in my life, like pray and meditate. And if I meditate ten times a day for a minute, that's even better than 30 minutes a day once. It's about making conscious contact with God. I'm also back to calling my sponsor again every day. You know, I've been in program for a long time, 18 years, and there were Five years straight, I called a sponsor every day. I turned over food every day. I stopped doing that. I had other sponsors. I did different things with them. I, you know, you, you change, program changes, my food changes. I used to have a half a chicken the size of Wyoming, you know, as, a, as one meal. And now, you know, I have a quarter of a chicken. And I still sometimes say to people, if someone says, what was the best part of your day? Sometimes I still say breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, and because that's who I am, I'm a compulsive eater. And um, when I'm down in the dumps, I am look. I tend to look forward to my meals more than I do the people. And I always know in my heart that if I just stop chewing for a second and start talking to someone, I'll feel better. And I always do feel better. Um, my tendency is to isolate. As a writer, I need to really spend a lot of time alone in my head and that's really dangerous mm-hmm. you know we all we all hear that in addiction and everything so it's a really difficult thing to have this sort of isolating kind of career uh, along with very negative voices in your head you know it's like hard to play in there all in the same ballpark and um but I'm managing because this is something I really am drawn to doing, and um, and it's I've searched a long time. I've searched a long time. Um, I think the hardest thing in my life right now is just staying with everything, staying with my career, staying with calling the sponsor every day. I just need that now, and I'm really surrendering that. And she doesn't, like, do anything to me. It's not like anything happens. It's not so bad. You know, like this little girl inside goes, you got to call her again? Oh, God, you know. And I think it's a lot about feeling undeserving and feeling afraid of being rejected, like someone finally realizing, what is this broad calling me for? Who needs her, you know? Buzz off. And, you know, that fear, you're going to just be cast out. And um, which I think we all share on some level. I uh, have a wonderful, wonderful close friend that I've maintained a relationship since I moved out here in 1999. We met in program. Probably my closest friends in the world are my program friends, which is a blessing. And I, you know, we all can talk to each other in a different way. We all know that. And we have this thing that we do in our weekly conversations, we have phone appointments every week, and for quite a long time now, we've been doing some sort of OA work study, and first we did, uh, we read the brown book, that that old brown book from years ago, I don't don't know what it's called, the brown book, and then we read the OA 12 and 12, and what we do is each week we 
we agree that we're going to read page so-and-so to page so-and-so and then write um, whatever resonates for us on it. And it's amazing because I'm, like I said, I have such a, a dread of doing anything consistently and finishing things and I finish all these books with her and I have all these writings. Maybe we'll even put together like a little um, booklet, you know, our our great thoughts, you know. And now we're reading Chuck C.'s book. Uh, Chuck C. was an alcoholic, and he wrote a book called The New Pair of Glasses. And since it's within, it's not OA, but it's AA, and our, our program is based on AA, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal book. And it literally is, has given me a new pair of glasses. I just want to read a couple of things from it because... I love, you know how when you're feeling crappy and you read something that totally talks to you and you think, wow, how did this happen, you know, and, and it really helps you. Well, like I said, I tend to get down on myself, big surprise, and, um, and I, I have a sponsee and I think to my, I'm always thinking, what the heck does she want, you know, what, what does she think she gets from me? And... I read this the other day, and it just made me feel so good. And this is by Chuck C. I doubt very much if our value as a counselor equals our value as a listener. If you can get the guy or the gal talking, if you can get them talking, this is the deal. In my own case, if I'm talking to somebody new, the one thing that I listen for is the first attempt at a belly lift. And so the sharing and getting them to talk and being a good listener gives the counselor more value than talking himself. We're not experts on anything. It's the simple little thing that opens the door. It isn't the profundity. Nobody ever got sober or abstinent on profundity. It's the little things. I love that because I always feel like I have to say something profound. And I had this slapped back at me um, this week. I, I'm in this other group that has nothing to do with 12-step group. It's a motivational group for people who are pursuing the, their, the arts, career, career in the arts. And it's a group that we all put together ourselves and it's based on some other thing. And, but every month you have a part, different partner that sort of supports you. And this month I have this guy, and he's like one of these Tony Robbins posters. And, and, and you know, I always, my, you know, basic form of insecurity is, well, I'm wrong and everyone else is right. So I was very proud of myself because he starts talking to me. He goes, what can I do to get you moving on your goals, Randy? I want to see you, you know, I'm going to see you shine, and, and you're going to, you're going to, you know, fly to the moon this month and we're going to go to that meeting and you're going to tell them all the things and brag, brag, Randy, brag. You know, how am I going to see you? I'm going to, everything was, I'm going to see you do this and I'm going to, and I started like getting that, you know, choking feeling in me and, 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 and as I'm getting that choking feeling, feeling really uncomfortable, I'm going, well, he's right, you know, he's making a hundred thousand, I'm not, you know, and he's doing this and he's, and I just said, you know what, Dan, I, I can't, I'm getting real uncomfortable. 
And I said, please don't get me wrong, and this, so, this is so hard for me, too, you know, of course. I mean, who am I? And I said, I feel like I'm being lectured, you know. I feel like you've got this agenda for me that I need to be, you know. And so then I started quoting him from this book. And because and, there's this other thing in this book about, Chuck C. says, to hell with waiting to love yourself before you can love others. You've got to love others. That's it. You just love others. That's the deal. And eventually you'll love yourself. And when he told that, he started like competing with me. He goes, no, you're not doing it right. You know, and then I want to see you doing this. And, you know, and, and I said, I, I, you know, I didn't, it was interesting because I felt my ego going, oh, this guy's an asshole. That's it. And, and then suddenly my ego is like, I am so above this, and he's an idiot. He's just like some puppet, and and that one, that's not so good either. And because um, that does that, that screws me up too. And I just said, you know, I don't think either one of us is right or wrong. We just are totally on different tracks, and I just I don't want to be told what your vision is for me. I don't want to be told anything. I want to be supported, and there's a difference. And then I heard all this quiet that was so loud, you know what I mean? And suddenly, it's like, I just wanted to be a good partner to you. And then I, I really, you know, to be honest with you, I felt really like, oh, God, now I'm getting guilt-tripped. And, you know, now i got to apologize. You know, I, I was just like, that's so oh, all right. You are being a good partner to me, but this is not what I need. And I'm not saying I don't need stuff, but I just felt, you know, I just. And then he starts telling me I should be proud of him for telling him off, you know. And I, it was, it just kept getting worse and worse. I, like I felt like leave me alone. Uh, but, but you know, I didn't say how I felt completely. And you know what? That was okay. Because what I thought completely was too obscene to say. And what I did was I didn't, I, I tried to talk to his heart. And I said, look, I said, We're, I'm doing this in the interest of really being closer to you. Because I'm with these people for a year in this group. And, um, and I could drop out. I could do anything I want. I could drop out, but I'm choosing not to. I said, I, I would rather, you know, have it out with you here and tell you, you know, who I am and what I'm, you know, I follow certain, I'm kind of involved with this whole 12-step world and my world, and I have a spiritual practices, and I have therapy I go to, and I, I got things, like, places to go for this stuff, you know. So just, you know, let me share with you what I'm dealing with right now, or let me, you know, let me just be supported by you. I, I just don't want you to tell me what to do. And I hope you understand that it's in the spirit of wanting to be closer to you. And we had a good conversation. And uh, and it was really tough. You know, I felt, I just felt uncomfortable, you know. But I felt also good for myself that I didn't make myself wrong all the time, you know, in that evening. Because I'm also one to get sucked up into any scheme there is out there. You know, I could be signing. I, when I was a kid, I used to come home like a teenager and come home and sign up to health clubs for 3000 a month. And my parents had to get a lawyer. You know, I mean, I was, just, I was such a sucker for any scam. I'm the, I'm the jerk that ordered all those stupid things on TV, you know. 
all the pills, you know, like to, you know, that, that distend your stomach out to here and you know, keep you from eating. And I ordered, I ordered, I also ordered this washing machine that didn't use water. Oh, <laughs> It's incredible, and then I had to return them. Even as an adult, it's embarrassing. But I, uh, I use humor as a tool in my life. It's a tremendous tool. I also want to say that I'm married 21 years to the same person, and uh, and that I've been in programs with him. We there's 12-step programs for couples. Just in case you haven't done enough problems and um, and we've worked through a lot of our issues and, and you know I just think so much of my life is about to stick it out to stick it out you know I mean there are so many days I look at my husband and I go you know it would just be a hell of a lot easier to be alone and I, you know it's I love him I love him dearly but you know every day I have to share my life and sometimes I don't want to share. And um, I feel very selfish sometimes, self-centered, and that is our disease. And uh, Chuck C. addresses that here, too, real good. But our program addresses it good. Um, this is not... This is not a life... I can't live in a sober life sober, emotionally sober life if I've got my head so tightly wrapped around myself. I mean, I see how I am today even. I'm working on a project for myself and I'm, I've been procrastinating and procrastinating. And now I'm angry at everybody because I'm not done yet. You know, I'm pissed at everybody. I, I'm, you know, my husband's getting on my nerves. He looks at me the wrong way and he's on my nerves. And he's at home right now putting together a laptop computer for me and I'm pissed at him. You know, because whatever. Because he interrupted me three times. And um, it's not it's not sober. I love also Chuck C. This is my, I'm, I'm a Chuck C. thumper this month. Um, next month it'll be something else. And uh, But I love what he said about the definition of sobriety is the ability to live in one's own skin. And, you know... I like the whole live in one's own skin because of us, our skin stretches, you know, gets thin, that, you know, it does all sorts of things. And I don't always, I, so many, I mean, literally, you remember, you know, the day after you binged your brains out, what your skin feels like. It's tingling, it's, it, it, it's sweaty, clammy, you, you feel bloated, your fingers are swollen, you've eaten such an excess of salts and sugars, and it's so unnatural for the body to process all of that in such short time. I was a very, very big binge eater. I don't look it. I had two older brothers. They'd be panting on the floor while I was still going strong. Yeah, I mean, they, I could easily out eat. I could, I could have been in one of those eating contests. <laughs> Stupid, I didn't do it at the time, but, um, but I'm grateful I didn't. Uh, how much time do we have? Six or five. All right. So every day I pray, every day I make conscious contact with God, every day I'm abstinent since I 
that first day I became abstinent. I don't every day do a 10-step, but I do a verbal 10-step, on-the-spot 10-step. You know, when I'm talking to people that I have a tendency to blow up at, like my mom, you know, I will not ever, ever get off the phone without apologizing if I've been out of line with her. I don't remember doing that ever before program. There are so many behaviors that are ingrained in me because I go to meetings for 17, 18 years. I mean, I have not stopped going to meetings and have not stopped being abstinent. And I go in and out of periods where I'm doing a lot of step work. I go periods where I'm not doing a lot of it. I've gone to periods where I didn't have a sponsor for a few years. Now I have a sponsor and now I'm calling her every day again. I wasn't calling her every day. I was calling her once a week, once a month. Not at all. Um, But now I'm back to calling every day. It doesn't matter if I get her. It's about my willingness to pick up the phone. I could call three newcomers a day. I don't. I have one sponsee. Uh, there are some people that have the philosophy that you should never not raise your hand when they ask who can sponsor in the room. I need to have boundaries. I, I can't serve anybody and if I'm so pissed off that I have no time to serve. You know, I, I'd rather give one person help and feel willing and, and able and happy to do it than, than do the other things. These guys early on in AA... You know, that's what's rough reading these books. And who knows, maybe down the road I'll be one of them. But um, these early days of AA, our program, these men took people in their homes. They they did so much 12-step work. They did so much with so many. They didn't turn anyone away who wanted wanted it. You know, this program so much is for people who want it. Um, we all need it, but it's only for those, it's only going to be available to anyone who wants it. And I see, you know, I have people in my life, I have a friend back east, and he's been in and out of the rooms for so many years, and he's recently gained a large amount of weight. His um, triglycerides are off the, off the map. His blood pressure is up. He has a six-year-old girl, little daughter, eight years old now, and and a wife who's not at all one of us an addict or anything, and she just watches, and she's pretty good about staying out of his business, but we're close friends. They're a couple, my husband and wife, and my husband and I are very close with them, and I stopped talking to him. I used to really think I could get him back in the rooms, you know, and he's not necessarily denying he needs them. He goes, yeah, I'm going to go, and but, 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 but. And finally, you know, I just said very lovingly, you know, it's it's okay. You know, if you, it's just I'm sad because I don't want anything to happen to you physically because you're, you're like a walking heart attack, you know. It's a heart attack waiting to happen. And, um, and then I have watched... Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, who some of you who know me in this room have heard me share about this. My husband's brother died of alcoholism um, and obesity, and we there's nothing more frightening than going to an uh, intensive care unit and 
finding out that the, all, all the people in there are either in there for smoking or drinking. So it was all addiction-related death. My brother-in-law was in a coma when we got there. Uh, we, you know, death is such a strange thing. You really can't possibly fathom it or accept it in the moment before it happens or even imagine that it's really going to happen. And that's where we were. And Because he looked okay. His eyes were closed. But he seemed, he seemed cleaner and more peaceful than I'd ever seen him before. And um, But he died. He never woke up. And he must have been about 100 pounds overweight. And he had dr- literally drank himself to death. And... I've, you know, going through that and seeing that is so, so humbling. You know, you just, I know my husband is in AA for 21 years. He's sober. And it's been really frightening being partnered with somebody who's watching that and afraid that, you know, all he has to do is just, he could just take one drink and he could be on that road himself, you know. And, um... I've actually seen my husband through the loss of all his family, his mother, his father, and his brother. His parents died of illness. They were elderly, but his brother died really of suicide. And it's frightening. It's just so frightening. And it's affected my home life, you know, with my husband tremendously. Uh, you know, I. it's so scary uh, to see that. And yet, we're both also really grateful that we found recovery, but sometimes you wonder, like, why? Why did I find, why couldn't he? Just why couldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Why couldn't he? And uh, not, no, none of us have the answer to that. You know, he didn't want it. We offered it. He didn't want it. Other people offered it. He didn't want it. And there's a million people out there with different philosophies on that. You know, he couldn't, he didn't have any control, he had control. I don't know. But we have to deal with the after effects of that. And we have to deal with the grief and, you know, processing all of that. And also being grateful for our own lives in a selfish way, you know. It's like, ugh, you know, well, we didn't want it for him, but I'm glad it's not us. So... My life is filled with people in program. Uh, I go to one, I have a regular meeting that I go to like like church on Sunday morning. Um, and it's filled with people who really are want recovery and show up for their recovery every week. And I'm very grateful. And, you know, aside from all my complaining and whining and self-doubt and all that, I have a pretty good life. I have a pretty good life. I'm very fortunate and very lucky. And um, I have a lot of love in my life. I have good health. And I have program. And, you know, it's so funny because, like, when I'm on the job in the real world and, and there's nobody, nothing spiritual going on around me and I work in a room right now where all there is is food. People eat all the time. And... Um, And if I'm feeling at my real lowest, I remember my higher power. I remember my higher power, and I just smile. You know, there's no 
I feel I can feel so bad sometimes. I feel like I'm clear in the room here. Um, and uh, and when I think of my higher power and I think of my program, because my program includes my sponsor, the people in program, the 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 steps of the program, the structure of the program, these books, the big book. I just relax. I relax. You know, I it I'm so I feel so fortunate. That's the foundation that I didn't have when I was that little kid with the parents who were always screaming and yelling and fighting and I was finding ice cream and junk food because I needed that foundation. So I lived on a junk food foundation and then I found the foundation of program. And I have that in my heart and with me in my life. As much or as little as I choose, it's up to me. And um, I guess that's it. You can ask me any questions. Oh, there's a lady I know. <laughs> Hi. How does God or my higher power work in my program? Well, I don't believe like God finds me parking spaces and stuff. <laughs> so, I God helps me because God is the higher. For me, higher, it's more of a higher power for me. There's the what I call my comfort zone my emotional comfort zone, the voice that speaks to me that's loving. It doesn't mean I believe that everything always works out great and it's all hunky-dory, but there's this this calming, centered voice that speaks to me when I hear it. And I always hear it when I'm listening for it. When I get a plate of food in front of me, The second I see that food, that little calm voice tells me if it's too much or too little. And then I sometimes say, screw off. Or, or I hear you. I hear you. I'll, 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 you know, I'll I'll part the seas a little bit. And, uh, um, you know, I hear that voice. And it's, I'm joking around about that voice, but that is the same voice. It's that calm, sort of sane, not panicked, not obsessed, not fear-based, just that momentary calm voice. And sometimes that calm voice says, just wait. I don't know. You know, I just, I don't have an answer right now. I don't believe it's some separate out-of-body thing. I don't, I don't really know. It's inside of me, and yet it isn't me, if that makes any sense. Because my husband always says, I believe in God, I don't know what it is, as long as it's not me. And, um... It's it's just the peaceful voice, you know, call it something that, you know, maybe you hear when you meditate. And uh, I don't always get a lot, I, I don't get a lot of answers. A friend of mine says, I'm looking for billboard answers. I want to say, drive on the road, you know, go to New York or something, you know. <laughs> and um, some people really, you know, constantly walk around when something happens, they go, that's it, it's a sign. I just, I'm not like that. 
Yeah, I get nervous about those terms. Um, superstitious. I don't know. That answers your question. Yes. Well, it came about when I found, really when I found the comfort in program. As soon as I found the comfort that program has always given me. I mean, I, one of the things that I, I'll never forget, you know, and I, and I just recently saw this woman, too. The first, very first meeting I went, in, went to was in New York City on 53rd Street at a place called St. Thomas Church. And I walked in this, like, kind of a living roomy room, and... Everyone was smiling at me, but there was this big, tall woman that was just crossing the room or something, changed seats. She just gave me this toothy grin, and just that was so powerful and just so all-consuming. And from that moment on, I just thought, you know, there's something about this place that's cool, you know, that's really accepting, you know. Like, they're not telling me, put on some lipstick or go brush your hair, you know, you'll look better. Uh, um... In terms of, I just was using that, I was using it as an example because uh, I'm always looking sort of for this feeling of feeling secure and comforted by something or someone. Uh, It's something part of my nature. Maybe it's, you know, part of the addictive quality in me. Um, And... As long as I can remember feeling, as soon as I started feeling comforted by the concept of program and what it offers me if I choose to use it, I do get that comfortable feeling. It doesn't mean my day is going to go great, but I have a moment of peace, a moment of like, oh, I can make it through the day. That's about it. Yeah. Amending to myself is still a daily basis, something I do on a daily basis. I have made some amends uh, to some former employees. I didn't do it face-to-face. I did it by phone. Um, You know, the eighth step is the list, and you really need to put yourself at the top of the list, and you need to have that yourself on that list every day as far as I'm concerned because every day I have a negative voice going, you know, you're just not worth it. And so I have to make amends by telling, by just being kinder to myself. So every day I'm always making amends to myself um, for all those negative thoughts that tend to just constantly be there and be kind to myself. The biggest, I mean, the real amends is to myself because once those little apologies are done and cleaning up that the stuff from the past, the wreckage of the past, then it's daily living in your own skin. And if, you know, my nature is as it is, and I just turned 50 this year, and I, you know, I don't know how much my nature is going to change. You know, so if my nature is to tend to be self-hateful, then I have to have my nature telling me, I'm, you know, making amends for that that behavior. Um, and I'm doing other spiritual work around that, which is not really 12-step related, um, in just in terms of, all with the concept, all with the concept of 
being comfortable in my skin and not being so controlled by my surroundings and by my emotions. You know, when I get really emotional, you know, there's a phrase in program. If it's hysterical, it's historical. You know, and I know that when I'm, you know, overly emotional, I'm in trouble. And part of the amends process to myself is to not ignore that sign. To not ignore when I'm like, ah, you know, I'm really getting emotional. What is going on? What is going on? I owe that to myself. That's, you know, something I can do for myself. Because if I don't, I will eventually go back to food and other addictions. And they're all waiting there. Yeah. That's it? Oh, wow.